From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. In 1903, William Harley and the Davidson brothers built their first motorcycle in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Since that first bike was produced, Harley-Davidson has become an American icon and probably the best-known motorcycle brand across the world, selling upwards of 300,000 motorcycles each year. But what happens to a business when consumer preferences and behaviors start to change? While motorcycles continue to sell well to their traditional customer base focused on the open road, a new segment of consumers has developed that is more interested in sustainability and local travel. Harley's response? Serial One. Serial One was started as a Skunk Works project inside the company and now operates as an independent entity and is creating a brand new line of electric bicycles to meet these changing consumer desires. On today's show, we talk with Jason Huntsman, president of Serial One, and Hannah Altenberg, lead brand marketing specialist, to discuss the journey from idea to development to the upcoming product launch. Both were part of the team that started this project inside Harley and share their unique perspective and advice for anyone who's trying to create change inside a larger organization. As Jason said during our interview, you can't listen to everyone. You have to find your true north, pick a few advisors you trust, and then take everyone else's opinion and keep moving. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So Jason and Hannah, welcome and thanks for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you. So I am so excited to talk about Serial One today as a big fan of this whole idea of e-bikes. And for those of our audience who don't know, Serial One is a spin-out uh, of a business that was actually started within Harley-Davidson. But before we kind of get into the business and what it's doing, I want to get into a little bit of your backgrounds. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Jason. So I think from my understanding, you were at Harley for a few years uh, before you got involved in, in running this e-bike business. And now it's gone from that to where you're actually the president of the spin-out. If you look back when you joined Harley, which is you know clearly the most iconic motorcycle company in the world, could you ever have imagined that you'd end up not only starting an e-bike company, but then spinning it out? Um, maybe not that, maybe not that particular example, but I can't imagine myself doing something like that. Um, so most of my background after sort of being an aerospace engineer for a while and not really enjoying it, um, I went back to business school and really got the kind of entrepreneurship bug, um, and ended up, um, in, in raising funds for two venture backed startups Ended up after that going to, to Ford Motor Company, where I did corporate strategy with electric vehicles. Um, you know, that's my passion is personal mobility and starting ventures either either inside companies or outside companies. And so I've always sort of followed that line in my career. And so this is this is kind of the the next phase of what I what I was really passionate about and wanted to do. The day you take the job at Harley, 
can you imagine there's this spin out coming at that point? Or did it take a while for you to believe Harley would actually go down this path? It was always in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, the business was sort of inside of Harley set up as an independent business unit, which to my knowledge, they had never really done before. Obviously, we asked ourselves the question, when this eventually gets to a spot where we're going to launch, what, what, how are we going to win? And, you know, that, that was always kind of there. Now, going through this whole process and doing that is another story. A lot of companies like to talk about innovation. And I feel like you get a lot of examples sometimes where companies do what I call R&D. Um, they may do a special project and, you know, go up on their social media or something. Um, but, you know, even in my time at Ford, very rarely uh, do, you, do you get a company that sort of follows all the way through and does something like this. Now, it's not always the best avenue to spend something out either. You might want to keep it inside. You might want to make it, buy it, license it. There's a lot of different ways. But because of the way we approached coming into this industry of building a ground-up vehicle um, you know, with our own team, um, th this was, this was in, 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 in my mind, the best way to win. Uh, was to spin this out. So Hannah, you you join Harley out of college, right? Yes. What is your first job there? So my first job was a corporate strategy analyst um, or associate analyst in corporate strategy. You know, I, I kind of played a variety of roles within the corporate strategy team, um, you know, supporting all of our strategic initiatives. As, as Jason mentioned, you know, we're always looking at ways to innovate at Harley. And so I was kind of a part of all of those different initiatives. And then also part of business development a little bit too. How do we partner with other brands in strategic ways? Um, those were kind of my two areas that I worked in right away. Yeah, so it's my understanding really early on in your career, right, and you're only out of college a few years, you have this project manager, the e-bike program, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, do you think your youth and, and frankly relative inexperience at the time, was it an advantage or a disadvantage? great question. For me, it was a great advantage. I think what really helped me the most was I was just willing to kind of get in on whatever, you know, I was willing to put in the work to ask all the questions that maybe other people would be scared to ask because they've been around for a while. And so I really think that did help me kind of grow and, and be a good person to fulfill this role. So what's the business case for a motorcycle company? deciding we're going to fund a bicycle company. If you think ahead, um, you know, and, and you think back to the founders of Harley, they were really creating a mobility solution. They ended up being a motorcycle, one of the greatest motorcycle brands in the world, right, that they built over time. Um, if you think of a, a person maybe living in an urban area 10 years from now, you know, an electric bicycle, or even not even 10 years from now, now, in a lot of in a lot of European areas, especially, an electric bicycle is their two-wheel freedom machine. They may eventually move up to a motorcycle, and we always knew that some people might. Um, but for for a lot of folks, um, that may be their their way to unlock their city, their way to get around town, and their way to you know, and for many cases, their way to commute to work. And so, um, saying that. A, a motorcycle manufacturer is looking at an e-bicycle solution. It, it's really about owning owning the two-wheel space um, more than is it a bicycle? It is a more is it a motorcycle? It's just how someone experiences freedom on two wheels. 
So you've built your own startups. You worked at Ford. You, you've been uh, in Harley. You've watched their Skunk Works approach. What's the logic behind doing it in these kind of secret environments or teams that are isolated from everyone else? I mean, in, in this case, I think it's to give us as much operational flexibility as we can because it's a new space. You know, we have a lot of tough conversations, um, including with, with leadership and things on which, which way we were going to take certain things. Um, everything from our business model to the product was very different. And, and, and not really, you know, at least at the time, we weren't very accustomed to doing those things. And so, you know, I'll just say, especially towards the end, as um, Jakin Zeitz, the new CEO, came in, he really established this culture of winning. And what are we going to do to win? And so when you take that mindset, you're always trying to do, you know, what, what, if we're going to win in this space with this business, what's the best thing to do? And does that then lead you to the idea that it needs to be spun out? Or did you know it was going to be spun out all along? You kind of march down this path trying not to close doors, right? You, you try to keep all the options open um, because, you know, markets are very dynamic. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of different, I would say, views on what we could do. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, in order to make this really succeed and make kind of stand up serial one as its own brand as well, because it needs to live on its own. Um, you know, Harley is powered by Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson will always have that connection. Uh, but we do want to establish a, a new brand that resonates with, with folks in this industry. And so when you're, when you're trying to do that, the, you know, the best and most efficient and appropriate way was to spin this off. Um, you know, every spin out needs one crazy person in the in, in the company sort of um, thinking that we might do this. And, and it, in this case, that was sort of my um, endeavor. And, and, and I really thought it was the best thing to do from just from a leadership standpoint. I want to shift to how you went about building the Serial One team, because as I've read about it, I think you have some pretty interesting philosophies. And so one of the quotes I read, Jason, was that you said you have to weed out the entrepreneurs. Love that term. They have to want. They have to want to be entrepreneurs. So I look for people who have side gigs because they have the spirit of the entrepreneur. So you look for side gigs, but how else do you sit down? You're looking for someone to join your team. For example, someone new out of college. How do you really try to figure out if they have the entrepreneurial mindset? I mean, again, from, from my perspective, you just ask what else they do. You know, I mean, you can get into someone's resume. You can get into their what kind of what their what their tasks were as, as a job or what they accomplished on the job. But it's like, well, what else are you doing? And, and I like to find people who are, oh, well, you know, either internal at work. They're, they're, they said, you know, this is my day job. But, you know, my 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 little side gig is is we, we developed this new project over here and I volunteered to be on this team because, you know, I want to I want to do something that's that's innovative sort of outside my daily role. Or you get people who have legitimate, you know, side gigs that, you know, they're like, this is what I do during the day. And oh, by the way, you know, on the weekends, I'm, I'm, I'm out here doing this. And that just that just is a signal to me um, that, that this person understands or at least will feel comfortable in an entrepreneurial environment where you're not just you know you know you're not just turning a cog i mean you've got to do you've got to wear a lot of different hats and 
solve more problems on a daily basis than you typically would um, in, I would say, a normal corporate setting. Well, so, you know, Jason, you, you come in, you've done the startups, you know, you're an aerospace engineer, you've been at Ford, you come in with a resume and, and you're hired because you have some expertise, right? That you're not, you're not coming in. And so Harley's thinking this guy's going to add value, but Hannah, you're coming in as you know, frankly, a relatively green inexperienced person. And so did you ever feel that your voice wasn't heard or you were intimidated? Because I think that's a, a challenge I often hear from young employees. And then how did you overcome that? How did you make sure that you feel like, no, I am going to be respected in this conversation? It's uh, a great question. So I definitely did feel that way at first. I, I think it was helpful for me that I had about you know a year and a half under my belt at Harley-Davidson um, prior to being on this project. So I had a little bit of knowledge about the company, the structure, just different processes and how people work together there. Um, but definitely coming onto this team where I was totally green to, to bicycles in general, and then, you know, creating a new business unit, which I've obviously never been a part of before. Um, it was a little difficult at first, but I, I will give major props to Jason and, and the other leaders that we had at, at Harley. They, they always asked me what my opinion was, you know, in every meeting we, we would have more round table discussions and, and they would always give me the opportunity, whether in front of others or or just on one-on-one -on -one conversations to understand where I was coming from. And those kind of discussions and opportunities to be engaging really helped me grow in my confidence. Um, and then, you know, as, as we grew that business unit, I actually sat as a member of the leadership team as the project manager, which also gave me a lot of confidence and, and a lot of experience in engaging with different leadership levels, which was excellent. Jason, as a leader in that role, you know, how do you, you know, what's your expectation for not only yourself, but the other leaders to how to make that work? Is there, if you have a, someone on your team saying, look, you, you've got to get the, all of these ideas on the table. Is there some advice you give them? Um, you know, I had might laugh at this, but I always, you know, a lot of people are sometimes afraid of, of siloing things, right? You need to work together as a team. But at the same time, you need to respect what each person is bringing to the table and their role. And if, if their role is to is the marketing role or their role is to be the product engineer, then it's okay for the engineer to lob in some, some comments on the marketing and work together as a team. But at the end of the day, you need to respect the person who's there to do that job. So in my mind, it's kind of like a football team. If your job is the right tackle, you've got to do that and not worry about the wide receiver's route, right? And so, um, and, and that becomes especially in the true and start. So you kind of have to balance that, right? Everybody has to come together. Everybody's got an opinion, but at the end of the day, you know, we have so much to get done that you need to do your job plus probably a ton of other things. You know, Jason, you said something really interesting there that I have probably not talked nearly enough about over the last few years, which is. You know, one of the ways you make this concept work is that you have to have people do your job, right? Yeah, you were a team. But the fact is, if you're so busy, you don't have a lot of time to worry about what someone else is doing. I used to say there's a bit of a benefit to having scarcity of resources because you're not going to have anyone wasting much time on things they don't need to work waste their time on. And I think you've identified an important point, which is um, startups, while they are probably very effective teams, you spend a lot less time worrying about what other people are doing. At least that was my experience. And I think that that's one of the differences when you try to do this in a large company, you're coming from a situation where there's frankly 
in all honesty, more resources than probably is absolutely necessary to get the job done that day, right? And so I wonder, do you think that inherent setup, I mean, because you're describing it now that you guys are so busy and you're having to figure it out on your own. My guess is you're also not wasting any time now on things that don't matter. Well, hopefully, right? <laughs> hopefully that's the case. Um, but but yeah, in a large corporation, a lot of times you 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 sometimes have the mentality of, oh, I have to go get buy-off. I have to go socialize this. And all those things are true, right? Um, and you do have to do that in a larger corporation. Um, but we don't have time to do that. And so, you know, if, if, you're, if that's your role, hopefully you feel empowered on the team to make the decision and just move forward. And we'll, it's not that we won't make mistakes along the way, but we just, we, you know, we have to just keep solving our issues and making it all the way to the finish line on a daily basis. And so there's not, you know, if you're thinking about someone else's role, you're probably, you know, not spending time on your own, on your own things that you're expecting to do. So I imagine some of the people listening to the episode today work in a large company. They're talking about innovation and there's even been some talk about they're going to create their own startup within the company. And I'd love to know if you guys just have one or two pieces of advice for maybe a trap to watch out for. I would say the biggest, the biggest trap, um, at least in, in my opinion, is um, you should get guidance from, from a course from, from your, your top leadership and things, and you should get guidance from um, various folks, but you can't listen to everyone. And you really have to, you really have to find your own kind of true north. And get a few advisors that you really trust, and one of those. And if you're internal, it should be your boss or your or your or your you know your executive. Find those two or three people that you trust to give you guidance, and then not that you ignore everyone else, but you just kind of you just kind of have to, you know, take their opinion and keep moving because there's just there's just way there's just so many opinions on things that can happen, and when you're trying to do that internal to a company, you have to move pretty quick. I want to take a moment here and shift because we've talked about this incredible business you're starting and Harley's, you know, venture into e-bikes and now your your journey on your own. But I want to get to know you guys a little bit and how do Hannah you personally make decisions and Jason you make decisions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions I'd like you each answer them. Do you believe that your success has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure? For mine, it's definitely been from embracing failure, I think, especially in this in this environment it has been. But one of my mentors always says, if you're going to fail, fail fast. And so that's been one thing that I really keep in mind all the time. You know, if, if things aren't working, don't push them. You know, try to figure out, start thinking outside the box or figure out how you're going to do something better. Um, and I think that's really worked for me so far. And I'll continue to work that way. Yeah, for me, for sure, I'm in the same way. I mean, I... I am very much a proponent of, well, let's try it out and let's 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 see, because uh, there's always a million reasons why you shouldn't do something, um, and in in order to be successful, you you need to be able to experiment, um, you know, you need to be able to experiment, but do it in a smart way. It's not that you try everything, but you you have a hypothesis that you know, this is going to work if we do it this way. You try it and then you shift and navigate when you need to. Yeah, I think what you're both describing is the power that 
learning is the key to this, right? If you have, if you're going to do something and it hasn't been done, you got to keep learning and that, you know, you don't learn by without trying things. It's just, it's part of the process. So, all right. Second, uh, when you're building a team of innovators, what do you think is more important to that team success? Creating a culture of brutal honesty, even if it makes people uncomfortable or creating an environment of psychological safety where you work to make sure that uh, the conversations don't make people uncomfortable and frankly, try to avoid those awkward confrontations. You know, I'm, I'm very rarely the smartest person in the room on my team um, and, and practically never. So I think there are folks on our team who they definitely are in the camp of the brutal honesty. And there are folks on the team who are who are not that way. And I think you have to create an environment where where both can be um, both can be heard because uh, there's some folks that are brilliant. But if but if you let the person who likes to talk and, and will always talk, talk, you're never going to hear the other's opinion. And so you, I think you have to be a little bit flexible sometimes. And it actually might depend on the, the subject matter. Um, you know, if we're in a finance discussion, I think that's a that's a brutal, honest discussion that we need to have. If we're if we're talking about um, who's the best target customer for a certain thing, or you know, we're in a more exploratory state, then I think you do need to kind of roll off the other way and create an environment where it's more exploratory. I tend to agree with Jason, but I I do lean more toward the brutal honesty, um, which I think is something that. I, I used to not think at all, especially coming right out of school. I, I used to always think, you know, let's make sure everyone's happy and, and feels good about how this went. Um, and I think learning now, you know, just in this kind of fast paced environment, you just want to be able to have really clear communication and be transparent and always be on the side of truth. So that's, that's been really important for me as I grow, but you know, you want to do that in a respectful way. And, and that's key, you know, and, and catering to the person you're talking to, the environment you're talking in and, and what you're talking about is really important. So when you personally approach a problem, are you more likely to be someone that tries to think outside the box to build a better box or to set the box on fire? My triage reaction is to build a better box to get us through whatever situation we're in. But at the same time, be thinking outside the box to try to figure out, okay, this obviously didn't work or this isn't working the way we thought it was going to, you know, how, how can we adjust for the time being, but then also be better in the future? And what can we do, you know, in parallel to, to get us to a better place? I guess for me, it's, you know, why are we building a box? <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. I just feel like... Um, I tend I tend to look at something and then ask ask folks you know what, what are we doing what's what what is the goal and then I try to at least create an environment where we think we can try something and sometimes that might be burning down the box but usually it's not um, so, you know sometimes again I think that's a romanticism with entrepreneurship sometimes that yeah you're just always outside the box and you know a lot of times we're not a lot of times we know what we need to do. And it's creating a plan and trying to execute and, and, and do that. As you guys are building the team, when, and I want your, each of your personal opinions on this, when you're evaluating a new team member, you're sitting across from them trying to decide, you know, should they be part of Serial One? What are the one or two kind of must-have characteristics that you want to see in a, what you think is going to be a successful new team member? 
I guess I try to envision just leaving this person on their own. If I just gave this person a vague goal and I said, here's what we want, do I, do I, do I kind of envision this person just taking it and just running with it and getting it done? Um, you know, I think that's one of the most important um, kind of attributes of pretty, I think pretty much every person on our team. Um, they don't, they don't need a lot of handholding or a lot of micromanagement. Um, they'll just get it done and they're, and they're good at that. And so that's what I try to look for on, on this type of team is can I envision giving someone, you know, something very hard and vague and they're just going to figure it out and get it done. You know, my, my biggest thing that I looked for was, you know, overall transparency. How do they interact with you in an interview setting to, they seem like they're a genuine person and, and, you know, when you, when you pose different questions to them, do they answer in a way that makes you feel confident that they'll always be kind of upfront and honest with you and transparent? Um, and then, as Jason mentioned, you know, adaptability is huge. In my career thus far, my job has never been, you're doing the same thing every day. You know, this is what you have to do. This is how you report on it. It's never been like that. And so I look for people who are willing to Kind of come into that sort of environment and, and able to take on a lot of different challenges and not have to have a lot of direction while doing it. You know, I have to say, as I listen to your guys' answers, not only your personal answers, but the company story, I'm just sitting here going, am I too old to go back and get involved in this business? I, you guys are on an adventure that I just think about going, that has to be one of the most fun things I can imagine doing. Now, I say that knowing that I'm in the process of getting ready to um, actually go join a new startup myself here in North Carolina uh, with all of 10 people. So I'm going to see if all my advice I've been giving actually works in practice again, but I've loved hearing your guys' story. And I think the last thing I'm motivated by is I need to get an e-bike. So tell me or tell our viewers or audience, what's the best way for someone to get a serial one bike if they want to get one? So the best way right now is to put in your pre-order so that you're one of the first to get your bike come this spring. Um, and you can do that just by going to our website, which is serial one as in the number one, um, dot com. Uh, so that's the easiest way right now. We are going to have test rides available and participating Harley Davidson dealers starting this spring as well. So you'll be able to go test out bikes. And then we're also working on bringing our mobile demo tour, which is currently in Florida, you know, around the country and then also in Europe to get people out riding on our bikes. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. And uh, I'll be buying one of those bicycles. Soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thank guys. Thank you. Thanks to Jason and Hannah for joining me on today's episode. And I would encourage you to take their advice on not getting stuck trying to perfect your idea. As they said, you have to launch. In the startup world and larger companies, you have a tendency to try and make things perfect. And when you do that, you don't learn as much. You have to launch and learn along the way. We want to thank all of you who have embraced this show and helped us grow our audience so far. While we're proud of our success, we're just getting started and hope that you will tell your friends about the show. We'd also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Please note that we have additional resources available on our website at innovatorsontap.com. Thanks for joining us on this journey and let's go change the world.